It's time for former Oakland Raider and NFL insider Stanford Route on Cofield and Company. Four o'clock hour is here. Every Friday we talk to a former Oakland Raider, Stanford Route. He's the host of Believe in Raiders podcast on the Believe Network. Stanford, it's a big week coming up. Hall of Fame game and two former Raiders going into the hall. You actually played in this game way back when. Do you remember what it was like going around the hall? I believe that we did uh, when we went there back in 2006. Like I said, it's a little bit fuzzy because that was 16 years ago. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, uh, like I said, you know, just being at the Hall of Fame game, playing on that field, what is it, uh, is uh, Tom Benson Stadium, something like that. So it's just that right there in itself inspires you, you know, because you're in Canton, you're in the home of the – Pro Football Hall of Fame, which there's only been, what, 200-some-odd people that have been elected in the Hall of Fame. It's a very exclusive group. So just off of that alone, it's very inspiring just to be in that town. So it's a massive week for the Raiders and a massive weekend with the Hall of Fame because not only do they get Richard Seymour in, but Cliff Branch is going in. So I want to talk about both guys because yeah, you have an experience with both of them, but you played with Seymour for, what, at least one year, right, or a couple of years? I know we talked to Kirk Morrison. We talked to Kirk Morrison earlier in the week, and he was telling us about Richard Seymour. But go ahead and say uh, what you were going to say about Seymour and your playing time with him. Yeah, I played uh, with Seymour 2009, 2010, and 2011. And a great guy, you know, great player, even better person, somebody that I learned a lot from. Just when it comes to being a better man off the field, when it came to preparation, a lot of things that he that he tried to go ahead and bring over with him uh, from his New England days as far as just understanding situations. One thing that he always said about Bill Belichick was that there was never going to be a time in a game where there was going to be something that came up that they weren't prepared for because Bill would run them through every scenario. If it's a situation where, okay, it is now uh, fourth quarter and we got to go out here and get a stop. But you know what? Both of our starting defensive tackles have just gone down with ankle injuries. So now backups, you got to go in there right now and help us close this game out. So there was never going to be a situation that you would come into that you did not have some version of being prepared for from Bill Belichick. That was something that uh, that was something that uh, Richard Seymour bought over with him from New England. Another tactic was simply having plays from the day before in practice that Tom Cable would go and put up on the big screen in front of the entire team of players that would blow an assignment or make some sort of mistake to go ahead and let everybody in the room see, hey, you messed up on this play yesterday during practice. And just the fear of that level of embarrassment also breeds a certain level of accountability. So there was a lot of things that Seymour brought to the Oakland Raiders organization. And just obviously with him being a Pro Bowl player coming coming to Oakland and things like that. That's why he's now sitting up in the Hall of Fame, or should I say he's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame in about a week. Uh, not to boot, you know, those three Super Bowl championships that he has from his days in New England. So I can't speak enough about the guy. Uh, one little quick story. I remember back we played Kansas City the second to last game of the season in 2011. And I remember how there was a play that Seymour got a sack on. And I think uh, I think I got a pass interference or something like that where his sack got negated. Oh. And so and and so I remember how basically to make up for that, 
I had to then go and buy Seymour like uh like I, I had to buy him a Louis Vuitton bag <laughs> just to go ahead and make up for him missing out on a sack. And you know, and like I said, Seymour is one of those guys. He's from South Carolina. He went to Georgia. Like he's he's like half man, half ox. Like that's how strong he is. And you know, guys like that, you know, the big boys up front, you don't really want to piss them off. You don't want to make them upset. So when he told me he's like, hey, route. I'm gonna need a. Uh, I'm gonna need to go. I'm gonna need to have a Louis Vuitton bag, you know, in my locker Wednesday morning. So sure enough, Monday I went ahead, got on LouisVuitton.com, I ordered the bag. I made sure to have it next day delivery. So uh, it was there uh, Wednesday morning when we came in for the for the new work week. So uh, yeah, that's one vivid story that I remember that I can at least say on air yeah. about Seymour man, and I was happy to do it because, like I said, I looked up to him and I thought the world of him. Yeah, giant dude. I mean, listed at six six three seventeen. You've talked about him before, as you know, having that that country strength. And and uh, Kirk Morrison told us earlier in the week, uh, Richard was amazing because he was such a gentleman and so composed and such a professional yes. off the field. When he went on the field and flipped the switch, look out, different guy. Oh, no doubt about it. You know, like uh, it was just always magical to see somebody who, like I said, he came from New England. And anybody who's from that New England brain trust over there, uh, out there in that Boston area, you just automatically look at them in an awe-inspiring type of light just because of the championships they won. Obviously, the accolades that he has individually with the Pro Bowls and things like that. So when he came over, we were all looking at him just like mesmerized and, you know, how he's able to conduct himself off the field, but then turn it on as soon as he's in between those white lines. And the fact of how, you know, essentially you can't really run his direction because he's going to make sure that he throws the guard off and then go make the tackle and then getting in there to sack the quarterback and things like that. You know, it was just something that it was very refreshing. It was very pleasant to see firsthand and watch him work, watch his approach to the game every day with the way he took care of his body, but just also how he was able to teach a lot of us how to be better off the field, which then in turn makes you a better player on the field. So I can't speak enough glowing uh, positive words about Richard Seymour, man. I, I, I just can't. So if you're talking about, I would say, a top five or seven guy who you'd say, hey, that guy was a Raider, it's Cliff Branch. I mean, he's a, he's a legend, played yes. oh, yeah. from 72 to 86 uh, with Houston, the Raiders. Texas. I mean, just, yeah, and that's that's the other thing, uh, you know, tremendous background, like you, uh, you know, world-class sprinter, was an unbelievable athlete, and, you know, from what we hear, a real presence around the Raiders organization after his career, and Mark Davis was really tight with Cliff Branch. Yes, no doubt about it. You know, uh, my parents... Anytime they would go to games, uh, right, anytime they would come to Oakland for our games, they would always stop by the Raider image and they would always say like, yeah, you know, Cliff Branch was in there just kind of just hanging out. So, uh, so nonetheless, you know, very happy to see him finally get his nod into, uh, into that great room that is called the Pro Football Hall of Fame, being from Houston, Texas. So I ride with anybody from the state of Texas. There's no doubt about that. And just everything that he brought to the table out there being one of those stud receivers that are so storied within this franchise. So I want to say he's another one I can't say enough about. And I'm so happy that he is now in there because it's long overdue of him being very, very well-deserving. Stanford route. Former Oakland Raider is here with us, NFL Insider. So let's bounce around the NFL to some of the bigger stories this week. Man, we went through the full gamut now on the contract with Kyler Murray. They put in a homework oh clause. Um, he's kind of my publicly goodness. shamed. I don't know if the Cardinals put it out there on purpose, but then late yesterday we find out now they're going to pull the clause. 
what exactly do you think happened here? And now how is Kyler Murray going to react? Is he actually going to do what they want him to do, which is put in that work he needs to do when looking at film of the opponents? Well, that you just kind of answered your own question. Do you think that if the Cardinals really felt confident in Kyler Murray doing it on his own, which, you know, you would expect from a quarterback of an NFL franchise, do you think that the Cardinals would have put that clause in his contract if they really felt confident that he was going to do that on his own naturally? Of course so, not. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You just kind of answered your own question. Number two, we're talking about the same guy. If I maybe I'm I might be mistaken, we're talking about the same guy who deleted everything associated with the Arizona Cardinals off of his social media, off of his Instagram just a couple months ago, correct? That is correct. We're talking about the same guy who pretty much felt that the Arizona Cardinals set him up for failure in the loss to the Los Angeles Rams in the wild card round, correct? Correct. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's definitely going to go ahead and uh, watch film on his own now (laughs) for at least four hours a week, even though it's no longer mandated in his contract. I mean, come on now, Steve. He's definitely going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that the Arizona Cardinals, Steve Kime, they completely botched this. Now, for one, you would assume that if a team's going to give you a quarter of a billion dollars and it's not like Kyler Murray just finished his rookie contract. They franchise him to go ahead and give themselves more time to go ahead and try to work out this deal. They have at least another year or two to even go ahead and try to do something like this. They gave it to him early, and trust me, it's deserved because we've all watched him on the field. He's a phenomenal player, so there's no doubt about that. But you would assume that a team is not only satisfied with the work that you're putting in on the field, but how professional you are off the field, how professional you are within the workplace, your approach to the game. You would assume that they're satisfied with that. Clearly, the Arizona Cardinals were not satisfied with that, and they did not believe that Kyler Murray was going to become a better professional on his own. That's why they put it in writing. That's why they put it in the contract. So, it, it, so it leaks out. Somebody somebody goes ahead and leaks that to the media. All the fans, everybody, even myself included, I tweeted about it. Like, so you give the guy $230 million and you're begging him to watch film at least four hours a week. That's bizarre to me. Even more bizarre than the Zion Williamson contract where he's got a weight clause in there where he has to be a certain weight. So that's number one. So then number two, obviously Kyler Murray does not like how he's being portrayed as somebody who's not a professional, somebody who's not actually serious about honing his craft, improving his skills and things like that. Because Kyler Murray's now got to answer questions and he looks embarrassed and things like that, now you go and you pull the clause out of the contract because it took on a life of its own and it started to it started to shift a narrative or shape a narrative that wasn't the intent well i can read in i can read well and i understand english for you to put that in there means you didn't think that he was going to be professional and he was not going to have an approach to the game like the Tom Brady's of the world, like the Drew Brees, the Peyton Manny's of the world. So that's why you put it in the contract because you wanted to have it a mandate. And if it's not, then you're able to take, take away some of his money. So we didn't read that wrong. What it is is that this young man who has showed signs of being immature – He doesn't like the way he's being portrayed by the media, the public, everybody else. And because of that, now you want to pull the clause because you no longer want to have him and be feeling embarrassed. Who is the adult in the room? Steve Kime, Cliff Kingsbury, Arizona Cardinals front office. Who is the adult in the room? 
So you're really going to sit up here and be a thermometer. You're not going to be a thermostat. You're supposed to set the tone, set the temperature, not let everything, not fluctuate with everything that goes on with the media, the fans. You're going to let them dictate what you do. You're going to let a young man dictate what you do that's that's running the franchise. And that right there is why the Arizona Cardinals will not overtake the Los Angeles Rams. That's why they won't overtake the San Francisco 49ers as far as supremacy in the NFC West. And that's why they're going to continue to be a team that is flashy. They're going to continue to be a team that you like to watch. They're going to continue to be a team that draws a lot of eyeballs. But you're going to continue to see them sputter once you get to November, December, and January. And I would say February, but there's no need to because by the way they run that franchise, they're not going to be playing in February anytime soon. Luckily, the Super Bowl is going to be in Phoenix this coming February. But uh, I do not see Arizona playing in it just because of the way that the leadership, or should I say lack thereof, is being ran at that franchise. Damn, Stanford bringing it, getting in on uh, Kyler Murray. He's out with Cofield and company. All right, so let's talk about another quarterback because you don't have to be – I know where you're going. I we, know where well, you're going. You don't have to be young to be childish, <laughs> immature, petulant, and an excuse maker. That, that's true. And an excuse maker. And what I saw Big Ben say at the beginning of the week – uh, kind of as an excuse as to why the Steelers didn't have a lot more success uh, in the playoffs from 2010 on, I thought was, well, it's you know what? I expected it from Big Ben because I don't think he's a high-character guy. I don't care about this whole reinventing of Big Ben. I don't, th- I, don't, I don't think he ever was. And he said that, well, maybe he didn't win as much because players of today are coddled. And I love that uh, Cam Hayward came back and was like, no, 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 no. Stop that. What do you think of Big Ben blaming it on his teammates? I'm like, we carried your water! For all these years, for you being a creep, and we didn't say anything, and now you're calling us coddled? If myopic and out of touch was a person, that would be my number one response. Because, and I love how within the articles, you see people touching on, hey, let's not forget what happened back in, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008. Let's not forget about all that. You know, that was before Instagram, before Snapchat. It was before TikTok and all that. But, uh, hey, buddy. A lot of us still remember all of those accusations. We remember reading those reports way back then. So let's not go ahead and just, you know, sweep that under the rug like you're hoping a lot of people do. And that, to me, is the biggest hypocritical part of all of this, because I remember distinctly that situation. That ain't nothing but being selfish. You're the leader of the franchise, the face of the franchise, and you out here doing that? You first of all, it's bad enough you doing that is a is just a citizen of planet Earth. But you're now the leader of this franchise, putting a blemish, putting a black eye on this franchise. I can remember times where Big Ben would show up to training camp and he wouldn't be in the best of shape. Did not always work out in the offseason. Sounds pretty selfish to me. Uh, let me see. How many times has Big Ben kind of wondered on, you know, should I am I coming back for another season? Am I coming back? Like uh, hey, buddy, that gives Brett Favre vibes. And a lot of people used to say Brett Favre, by him not exactly letting Green Bay know his intent, his plans, that's a bit selfish. So I love Cameron Hayward saying that because, hey, bud, hey, just because, hey, and like I said, you're going to be a Hall of Fame player, probably first ballot, Big Ben, two Super Bowl championships, all of that. So much deserved for all of his accolades and then being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame one day. We know that's going to happen. But don't think just because you're now this Hall of Fame 
former player, now you can all of a sudden just start barking out this stuff. And you think that people, because you're a Hall of Famer, people are just going to shut up and go ahead and just accept the BS that you just spewed out of your mouth. And it's coming from you. So that's what makes it completely hypocritical. Now, to what Ben, to what Big Ben said, is there a little bit of a selfish look at me, look at me, it's all about me type of attitude or type of mantra within today's football player? Yeah, it is. Just because of now social media, players now having their own platform, and, you know, the NIL deals going back all the way to college and things like that. So, yes, there is that element. But I think for Big Ben, for him to say that, it just sounds completely out of touch because you cannot be the pot calling the kettle black. You just can't, simply can't do that. And there's a lot of times where in this world, you can say something and what you say has validity, but you just can't be the one to right, say it right. because of a lot of things that you've done in your lifetime. People are not going to accept it. They're not going to hear it from you just because it sounds extremely hypocritical and it sounds extremely contradictory coming out of your mouth, even though there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. So let's tie this to one of his former players. We're talking to Stanford route who, you know, cornerback face these guys the wide receiver so you know these guys juju smith schuster has now gone from the steelers he's with the chiefs on a short deal i think it's one of the best bargains if he can stay healthy uh in the entire offseason he mentioned that he's running a lot more routes a lot more different routes with the chiefs and i also noticed in the story uh that he and mahomes got together a bunch of times mm-hmm. and threw with each other uh that's one of those guys you know, last year he was hurt. Two years ago, he went 97 catches, 831, and six touchdowns, and people were like, oh, he's lost it. No, look at who he was with. Big Ben couldn't throw everything on the route tree late in his career. I expect, again, with health, Juju to have a monster year with the Chiefs. Uh, Monster year, I think that might be a stretch, Steve. Now, also part of the precipitous decline in his production from that 2018 season where he had 1300 receiving yards he also was playing alongside Antonio Brown where Antonio Brown is taking a lot of that double team and sometimes even triple team coverage so now Juju is able to go ahead and work in the slot versus a safety or a linebacker or maybe a nickelback or something like that and so for him to go and say he's now running a lot more routes on the route tree versus what he did in Pittsburgh I'm not sure I all the way believe that, but you know what? I'm not in that locker room. I'm not in that huddle, so I'm going to go ahead and take his word for it. I also think part of the reason why he's doing more routes with the Chiefs than he did with the Steelers is because now that the Chiefs no longer have Tariq Hill, yes, they still have Miko Hardman. They have uh, they have uh, Marquez Scantling, and so and Marquez Valdez Scantling, and uh, and and a few other guys. So because now Juju is gonna, in my opinion. He'll probably be the number one receiver, not pass catcher, number one receiver for the Chiefs, at least opening up the season. So that's why he's running a more routes on the route tree than he did in Pittsburgh because Antonio Brown was there. And I'll say this, because the fact that Juju is going to be your number one guy, that's why I think the Chiefs are going to take a step back this year because I think Juju is more of a number two than he is a number one. I could be wrong. And you know what? If he proves me wrong, my hat's off to him. I will go ahead, bow down, and say I was wrong. But right now, presently assembled, with him being your number one, that's why I think the Chiefs are going to take a step back. And that's why he's doing more routes on the route tree than he was in Pittsburgh because right now he's the number one receiver by default for Kansas City. Stanford, good spot, man. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it, man. You'd be good. You'd be safe, Steve. There he is, our NFL insider, former Oakland Raider, Stanford Route. 
Don't forget, he also does the Believe In Raiders podcast with Dennis Ackerman. That's a weekly podcast on the Believe Network. Great guest, lots of Raiders breakdown. A couple weeks ago, they had on one of the newest Raiders, Deron Harmon. Check out the Believe In Raiders podcast wherever you download your pods. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Good job, I stand for route. Mm. Might have to have a bet in the next couple of weeks on the Juju Smith-Schuster part of the convo. I think he's going to have a great year. And I think his numbers were depressed, not only because of injuries, but his yards per catch because Big Ben couldn't throw the ball anywhere down the field. Now he's got Mahomes. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Stanford came back over the top and said, well, he also had Antonio Brown to take pressure off of Juju. So Juju's numbers were you know, based on Brown being the number one. I'm not even sure Juju technically is a number one. It's kind of a mix of like a bunch of twos, but he's going to get a lot of targets and hopefully he plays. Hopefully he plays because uh, they... <laughs> The Chiefs need some good luck with their receivers because Sammy Watkins, we know, is also very dicey for 16 games. Well, when Juju, had, when Juju had Antonio Brown, he was like 19. You're saying he's an old man at like 25? No, but I'm saying he was still learning how to – like it wasn't, oh, okay. it wasn't like he was at his peak yeah. and Antonio Brown was taking the pressure. He was still learning how to play. I feel like a position. lot of people wrote him off. And like his last full season, he went 97 catches, 831 yards, and six touchdowns. Yeah. It was like, man, it's pretty good. Now I'm, watch watch what happens when – you know, Mahomes is a quarterback as opposed to a guy who was a fossil who couldn't throw past 15 yards accurately. Yeah, I'm certainly not writing him off. So I guess there's a running joke going on right now. It is also uh, a bounty of hope that many of the Raiders media people may not be around. Oh, by the middle of next week? Tomorrow. You, you could all quit your jobs. Tomorrow. The Derek Carr press conference will be empty tomorrow. Derek Carr's press conference could look like a, a Washington Commanders uh, training camp practice. Yes. No one's there. Yeah. No one. You guys all got in this lottery? Yeah. You did a pool? Yep. We got uh, 15 of the media members, which is almost everyone. $20 each. Were you, were you watching me when you guys were doing this? No. Okay, good. I just had my back turned the entire time just stewing. Well, then, and then at some point. I was like, this is not productive. We've got work to do. But yeah, it was we're uh, it was wait, all ju- waiting for practice. It was I have work to do. I, I know you guys are waiting, but I got to set up the show because uh, you know whatever. Um, but you guys you guys were uh, kibitzing uh, about the lottery, and then you know you guys threw in how much per person? Twenty per person. Okay, fifteen people. Okay, and then there was I mean, as you were sitting there, you it sounds like you weren't paying attention, but at some point we go, whoever wants in, twenty dollars Venmo to Venmo to Cassie right now, and you're in. And then we got like three people later in the day. Nobody even asked me to get in it. Like, okay. I, uh, oh, I literally made an announcement. Whoever I, wants I in, listened can be to in. the entire thing and I yeah. didn't budge. Yeah. Whoever wants to be in can be in. And, and I then, heard, I heard guys like Willie who were like, if I don't get in, I guarantee you're going to win. Uh, and I still just sat there. That was the, so this would be a great story middle of next week when almost everyone on the Raiders media beat is uh, sharing in what, what, what is the prize going to be? Uh, it's 1.28 billion. A lot of taxes. <laughs> I'm kidding. I've yeah. seen that joke. Yeah. You know? A lot of taxes. Well, there, and, and the whole point isn't that you think you're going to win. It's to spend the 24 hours dreaming what you would do if you win. That's that's what you're paying for. You're paying for the 24 hours of dreaming. So, like, one of the easiest – I've heard, you know, a bunch of you guys say, what would you do? Are you going to quit right away? What would you do? You so, wouldn't quit. Uh, 
No, I, I so I we we actually just did our uh, our Raiders podcast discussing this way too often. And my my thought promote was it, the news. We want to promote the newspaper. Uh, what my we love thought you was, guys. You guys my, always promote us too. My thought was the <laughs> I would just stop. Like I wouldn't be working twenty hour days anymore. Right. Like, I would still keep doing the job, and at some point, maybe somebody would say, "Okay, we don't need you anymore because you're not working twenty hour days any longer." But I certainly wouldn't be working twenty hour days. Um. Ari shaking his his head. No, I I'm with him. I think you would still keep working twenty hour days. Now what what it because sh- actually that I'm with you. I like what I do, so I would keep working. But I might be a little more edgy. Sure, I might speak up a little more at work, but especially like let's go back to the great situation last week. If you're Paul Gutierrez, and I don't know what twenty people. What did you guys even divide up the share? What is this like? Is sixty million dollars a piece? So you get what thirty after tax, whatever it is, right? If you're Paul Gutierrez and Derek Carr is busting your horns and it almost got to a point where I think Paul was ready to fight yeah. Derek Carr, like the next step might be taken. Oh, and then what? You're going to yes. fire me at ESPN.com? Yes. Who cares? Well, that's what it is. You, right? you, and you that, start working your job in a much different way where right. you just don't care. You have leverage. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you would still do your job, but you're not going to take any you-know-what. Yeah, and I would also be, for the most part, doing my job remotely from Cabo in my new house. You, you could work out that agreement yeah. as well. What you wouldn't do, and we've seen this happen when you win big, is be a D-bag and quit on the spot because... <laughs> I can't imagine anybody else. You actually think about your coworkers. That's factually I know correct. you do. I know you would think, yes. like, hey, if I'm going to go, I have to give, like, a few months' notice. Yeah, and well, especially because uh, the entire Raiders beat from the RJ <laughs> was part of this. The entire RJ so, staff would be gone. Right, we have seven of us. Right. I think that are right. that are part of it. But so I think I know we're di- we're different. We were, I'm, I'm not saying we're like we we both like our jobs a lot, and I work because I like to work. Uh, well, and someone someone asked me this. It was funny. Someone asked me this like two years ago, and I I think it no, you know what? It was on a podcast. Someone asked me, and they're like, "Oh, what would you do a radio job?" And I'm like, "Ah, you know what? I might just go do sales." And everyone was like, what? You're not going to do so. I'm like, man, you know, I kind of like doing that too. So, But then you have the other side of, you have the other side of it where uh, somebody was asked that's in the group, would you quit your job tomorrow? If you, and he said, my job, I'd quit my family. That's I'd be a good gone. One. That's yeah, a good that's, one. <laughs> yes, true. Boy, could you do that? That'd be tough. I mean, you got to pay them. I would, yeah, there'd be some payoffs and said, I'll never see you again. I know some people who would do that. <laughs> sure. Sure. Here's some money. Enjoy. But I'm I'm being ninety ninety nine percent honest, hundred percent honest. I wouldn't I wouldn't quit. No, I, I don't think I would either. But there'd definitely be, you know, uh, you know, things that I do that are just like to help out other people or right. like some some small assignment. I'm good. I'm I'll, I'll pass. Not today. But and well, hey, if you don't do this, we'll find somebody that will. Okay, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Go. <laughs> please do. Liberating, right? Yeah. Please do. For you especially. <laughs> yes. Mentally liberating. Because you're a one screwed up individual when it comes to actually telling people no. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. One owns a meat slicer, the other an air fryer. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Okay, so Adam and the rest of the media people who went in their pool for the... uh, the big lottery, the $1.25 billion, uh, if Adam wouldn't quit his job, 
How about this? On the flip side, would you sign a, a contract clause like, say, Zion or Kyler Murray? Where they put a, an addendum in there and they're like, hey, you got to work. You got to work on this or else. Uh, you mean if I won the lottery, you're saying in general? No, I? no, no lottery now. <laughs> okay. Because these con- these contracts are really interesting. Kyler Murray, hey, you got to study, bro. Like, basically, we're telling you, we're going to give you the money, but you got to be up to this job you haven't been. And I think the Zion thing is even is even crazier. You're an athlete. You're supposed to be in shape. And I don't think enough people read what this said. He has to be 295 combined weight and body fat percentage. Yeah. So that really means, I mean, I have no idea what, what could that guy get down to? 11%, which would be incredible at, you know, so at that point, we're talking what? Math. Yay, 284. So he has to lose like 115 pounds. I mean, I, don't, he, I, mean, I think he, can easy, he easily walks around on probably 330, 340. Yeah, and there was a report this year that he was close to four. No. That was a report. I'm not saying he was. Oh I God. think it was completely insane. But Right, so am I in the ballpark there? That could, I, I don't even know. I'm not a body fat person. I mean, I know mine combined right now might be like 270. Sure. Like I, I might be over 30% body fat. In fact, I would guarantee it. I'm so out of shape. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it just depends. Like, if you're signing a, if you're saying you know, you're signing a job, a contract for a job that's a hundred thousand dollars a year, probably not. But if it's one hundred sixty million guaranteed, I mean, can you be yeah. insult? Can you be insulted when you've walked around at times over three hundred and fifty pounds? If they ask you to go two ninety five combined body fat and weight, if you're Zion Williamson, could you actually be insulted? I'm trying to figure out which is more insulting between that one and the and the Kyler one though because because I oh, think oh I think the Kyler one is way more insulting yeah I think it is too uh, that would be my original thought that and especially because we like when we heard the Zion thing we're like yeah I mean he's kind of tubby he's a big guy I mean we we've already seen this with you know Nate Newton or other defensive linemen you know, guys who were you know six two and I mean Makai Becton I I I can't stand the guy anymore I <laughs> hope he stays healthy but I I hated that pick from the get go uh, I don't know if they have a weight clause in there but they whatever contract he signs in the future he better. Well, now that now that you see that they're out there, that they exist, right? I'm sure teams are going to try out a lot of and things, especially guys like that. Like Zion Williamson is six foot six and a half, six seven, and just he naturally is a three hundred pounder. I mean, Makai Backton is six eight. They like they want him thin, three seventy five. <laughs> That's crazy, and he can't do that. And now he's been moved to right tackle already. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's please just, just please stay under 400 pounds. You're a talented guy. It's very, it's very complicated. I know in the, in the case of Zion, you could, you could say that it's contributed to injuries. I think he would fight back and say it hasn't that you just, I would. people, no, he oh. could and oh, say, no way no, you get hurt because you get hurt. You, Players get hurt all the no. time. You know, you know, but, I'm on this path because we call, we yeah, called it. Of course we called it while everyone else was rotting up over him to be in the number one pick. I'm like, this, this ain't going to work it. Like a guy who's naturally 275, he's going to get hurt a bunch. Yeah, and I think just like Kyler and his his argument yesterday of how could you say I'm not watching film, look at all the success that I've had, Zion I think would say the same thing of I've been this big my whole life and I've been the best player on the court my whole life. Yeah. Uh, now their response 16, would be... 16, 18, 20 yeah. years old, guess what? We all get older. You can't carry freaking yeah. whatever, 40% more weight. It's, I mean, bo- both are pretty crazy scenarios, but it's what teams are going to do if they're going to be investing... You know, hundreds of millions of dollars of guys guaranteed they're going to want these kind of deals. And I can't wait to see what kind of crazy contracts come down the road. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's time for Cofield and Company's Las Vegas Raiders opponent preview. Let's break down the Raiders versus the Steelers. Charge! 
done with the great football team. Which is the Pittsburgh Steelers? Yep, yep, yep. yep. This one or uh, Myron Cope, some of our favorites. Football season is here. Raiders, as we count down the schedule, actually from the back end of the season to the beginning, Raiders are going to play the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Brooke Pryor covers the Steelers. She's always nice enough to join us to talk about Pittsburgh football. She's from ESPN.com. Brooke, how are you? I am not bad. I am up in beautiful Latrobe at training camp. Uh, I can't complain. I'm literally watching a bunny in the grass. It's so serene here. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you you tweeted the other day that you're back at uh, St. Vincent, and I didn't know what that was. It is. Uh, it's a small Catholic college. I believe it's also a monastery or an abbey uh, because I see priests in full robes walking around campus. But it's where the Steelers have had their camp for decades. But it hasn't. They haven't had it here the last two years because of COVID. Uh, and my first year when I joined the beat, I got here in September. So this is my first year nice. in Latrobe at St. Vincent. I can't complain. It's been a really cool experience so far. So I'm sure you're fired up for football. We're fired up. Uh, my partner covers the Raiders on a day-to-day basis. I'm down at a Raiders facility uh, at least a couple times a week. And I, I do love hearing football people talk. And Mike Tomlin's like a true football guy. And you can tell the audience here in Vegas, he was talking the other day about uh, going back, you know, like 35 years and, and uh, boiling water for his mouthpiece. And he's all ready. Oh, yeah. that's He said, we, I think the question was something along the lines of, you know, when did you start getting excited for camp, or when did you start feeling this way? And he said, well, all the way back in 1979, I remember boiling water to put my mouthpiece in for peewee football. I mean, and he said, you know, I'm not going to, this was on the eve of camp, he said, I'm not going to boil water for a mouthpiece tomorrow, but nevertheless, I am excited. <laughs> so, I mean, this, he is a, the definition of a football guy. And my gums, like, just ache of thinking about molding a mouthpiece, a boiling hot mouthpiece. I'm still caught up on the school being an abbey, as if the Steelers training camp is in the 1200s. I, I love that. It's fantastic. It is kind of what it feels like, but they wear, like, regular Tevas instead of, you know, like, like very rudimentary <laughs> sandals. Uh, is, is it – I mean, is the fact that it's training camp now and we're getting ready for a season, is this when it's kind of settling in that there's no more Ben Roethlisberger there? Uh, kind of, because we are still talking about Ben Roethlisberger, even though he has retired, uh, because the other day he made the comments about, you know, the one of the reasons why they couldn't win a playoff game recently was an influx of me-first players, and uh, that has, you know, then Cam Hayward rebutted it, and then Ben rebutted Cam Hayward's rebuttal, and then... Let me think. I think I think we're only at two rebuttals of the original comments, but it, oh, and then Cam rebutted Ben's rebuttal. So we are just in this never-ending cycle. Though I think it's finally dead. Uh, but he has had somewhat of a presence, at least as a talking point, through the first couple days of camp. But I think this team is eager to kind of move into the next era and leave that kind of those you know the, the Ben Roethlisberger years. Yes, they were wonderful, but let's leave those in the past, and move forward with a new guy. Is it, is it somewhat helpful for uh, either Trubisky or Pickett, whoever, I mean, I, I assume it's Trubisky starting first, but uh, is it helpful for them to take over for not Ben Roethlisberger, Super Bowl champion, but Ben Roethlisberger can't throw the ball five yards downfield? Yeah, I mean, I think that that has to help because it's easier to follow a legend if the legend isn't playing at <laughs> the level at which he became legendary for 
Um, I also think it helps whoever takes over that they're going to be in that Canada's system because for Mitch Trubisky, he is typically very good at these short, quick throws. He's good with pre-snap motion. For Kenny Pickett, in college, he was recruited to pit by Matt Canada, so he's familiar with his system. And then Mason Rudolph, who's actually been, I think, the most accurate quarterback through the first three days of practice, he's been with Matt Canada now for a couple years. Um, first as his quarterback's coach and now as the offensive coordinator. So he's very familiar with what he's doing. And so I think those two factors, Ben's performance kind of dropping off the last couple of years and being in this system are, are helping all of them kind of adjust to potentially being the guy to take over. Is there a plan to not get Najee Harris 800 touches and try to kill him again this year? <laughs> you know, I yes, but I, I think that it's still going to be the Najee Harris show because when there's this question mark at quarterback and you've also got a first-round running back who showed that he's capable of carrying the load and then some last year. I mean, the coaches have talked about wanting to manage his workload, you know, getting him off the field in certain downs, not overplaying him. But, I mean, I spent some time with Najee this offseason to work on a story about just how he trains. And this is a guy who literally is training 12 hours a day. I mean, he's taking some breaks in there, but when I was with him, he did three separate workouts. So he's very much training as if he's never going to come off the field. So if that is what ends up happening, if he ends up leading the league in touches again, I mean, he's ready for it. He's trained like that's what's going to be happening. Brooke Pryor, ESPN.com, covers the Steelers, uh, one of the Raiders' opponents this year as we get ready for the Raiders' season by looking at each of their opponents, counting down uh, to the opener. But we mentioned both quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Trubisky is there. I actually think Trubisky could be pretty good after, you know, a couple of years of being humbled. Uh, Kenny Pickett obviously drafted to come in and take over at some point down the road. How much of a leash will Trubisky have if he is indeed the starter? You know, at this point through the first couple days of camp, I get the sense that both Trubisky and Mason Rudolph are ahead of Kenny Pickett by a pretty wide margin. I mean, Pickett has looked like a rookie in the first three days. He had two interceptions, uh, one on the first day, one on the second. Today, not very accurate. I mean, definitely some growing pains, a lot of checkdowns, um, things like that. So it's not like Patrick Mahomes is sitting back there waiting for his shot. It's not like, you know, there's Justin Fields waiting in the wings who is clearly better than the guy who's starting. Even though he's a first-round pick, I think that the Steelers are going to – I think bring Pickett along slowly. And at this point, it's very early, but I haven't seen the Pickett's capable of, of taking over from Mitch Trubisky um, if he is indeed named the starter. Um, but that's not going to stop fans who there are a lot of Steeler fans that are also Pitt fans. And after Mitch Trubisky's first two throws of camp, which were both incompletions, <laughs> someone yelled from the stands, Get Pickett in there, uh, which everybody kind of laughed. Mike Tomlin didn't listen. Uh, <laughs> Pickett came in, I think, with two of four. So, you know, there there will be some calls, and that's going to be something we're watching for. But I, I don't think Trubisky's leash is going to be that short, at least initially. So I think this game on Christmas Eve is going to be a tremendous spot. Uh, what, it's a uh, it's an evening start, I believe, and it's also going to be the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, which the Raiders don't enjoy remembering or talking about. <laughs> do, do, have they already announced that they're doing some, uh, something for that? I, I assume they are. They haven't announced. I, I don't believe exactly what's going to be happening, but, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine 
that that isn't just a huge weekend in Pittsburgh. Um, I mean, I, I can tell you that from a story planning perspective, my editors, the yeah. second the schedule came out, and that was, you know, an anniversary weekend. It was like, we have to do something. And I'm sure every other writer here, every other TV station is also feeling that pressure. So if we are, I guarantee you the team is already thinking, what can we do? This has to be a big weekend, blow it out. So as much as Raiders don't like remembering it, the Steelers love remembering it. Mm -hmm. There is a statue of Franco (laughs) Harris making the catch as you come down the escalators, going down toward the tram to get over to baggage claim in the Pittsburgh uh, airport. So it is a very present thing in this city, and I think they're going to do it up big for for that anniversary weekend. So let's preview the season by going over the betting numbers because we're always into that here in Vegas, and I know uh, in the state of... Uh, I almost said Philadelphia. Uh, Pennsylvania, they uh, they have legalized sports betting. So, first of all, over-under win total for the Steelers is 7.5 with a little price on the over. So, what do you think? Can they go 8-9 or better? And Tomlin's never gone below 500. I was going to say, because Tomlin's never gone below 500, I'm taking the over because he managed to coach a team that had Duck Hodges as yeah. the quarterback <laughs> for a good chunk of the season to a winning record, or at least not a losing record. So I, I think that this will be another great coaching example from him. It could end up being his best coaching performance if they can come out of this above 500. The division odds, the Steelers are given almost no shot. Uh, Bengals and Ravens are inside a 2-1. to one. Browns are 4-1. to one. Steelers are 13-1. to one. Whew. I mean... I guess when I look at how the Steelers roster stacks up to the other teams in this division, that's not super surprising. Um, I don't think that they win the division, um, but I don't think that they're going to finish last either. I mean, this is a team that has T.J. Watt on it and Minka Fitzpatrick and Najee Harris. I mean, the reigning defensive player of the year, someone that I think is going to be a huge factor uh, in their offense, in Najee Harris. And then George Pickens, the wide receiver, I've watched him the last couple of days. He's a monster. I would keep an eye on him. To me, this team has too many pieces to finish last, and their head coach is too good at winning to finish last. Since we're talking about betting, I'm so mad you mentioned Duck Hodges. I, I still have <laughs> nightmares about that game at the Chargers. I believe it was in Carson at the soccer stadium, and he mm-hmm. wins that game. I definitely had a big bet on the Chargers that night. So thanks for bringing that memory up. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun night. I, I enjoyed covering that game. He also, if I'm remembering correctly, wore like a Donald Duck T-shirt <laughs> afterward. It said like, welcome to L.A. or something wow. like that. So like he very much played that up. Uh, last one. This is really interesting. Uh, Brooke Pryor, ESPN.com, covers the Steelers. Raiders in Pittsburgh on 12-24 towards the end of the season. They actually have crossover props here against college football. Steelers versus Pitt Panthers regular season wins, and Pitt is actually favored. Interesting. Right? I mean, the, uh, the, the, the way they, play, they play 12 regular season games versus 17. I mean, the Coastal in the ACC, unfortunately, I'm a UNC Brad, and that's only unfortunate because I don't know how good that football team is going to be this year in a pretty trash division in the coastal. Uh, I, I think I might not. I think I think Pitt. I think I would feel good about. I don't know. Good is the right word, but yeah, I think that Pitt could very well end up with more wins just because their division is so weak. Um, I'm not sure who else they're playing non-conference wise or who they're opponent is from the Atlantic, but I guess, I guess I'm okay with, with picking Pitt Panthers 
for their higher win total. That's why those props are tough, right? Uh, Brooke, yeah, no, that's a it's a challenge. There's a bunch of them. It's actually really interesting. Hey, uh, have a great weekend. We appreciate the time and enjoy the uh, the scenery. And uh, and that's a cool place. That sounds like St. Vincent's a really cool place. Thank you so much. Absolutely, thanks, guys. Five o'clock hour is coming up, and yeah, Pittsburgh out of conference. They uh, they actually match up. This sounds so weird. Out of conference, they match up against West Virginia and Tennessee.